And welcome to the Five Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good Monday. Um, the final score in the game at the weekend, I will get to in a second. But I wanted to catch up on a few little bits of housekeeping I want to let you know about. The first one is um, the 16% discount for the year is locked in now for the rest of 2023 and 2024 on the yearly discount, which essentially means you get two months free if you sign up for a year. Um, uh, instead of a monthly subscription um, it does actually help me more if you do so if that's something that you were thinking about by all means go ahead and do it the second is I have signed up for uh, the Twitter blue on Twitter I'm giving money to the rocket man mainly my intent on this is to donate the roughly around 200 250 per month that um, I'll be getting off Twitter um, to Irish charities. So if you're on um, the TRK Secret Club, I have a thread in there basically where I'm taking suggestions for for this month. Um, In the next week, I will be making uh, the charity payments to the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association. Um, I've been making them to Movember, uh, to the Irish Cancer Society, to the Rape Crisis Centre Ireland, to Belong, to RNLI, to the Irish Guide Dogs and to St. Vincent de Paul. That's coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks once the income comes in from uh, Twitter Blue, which from everything I've seen, will be around 150, 200. I was speaking to a few people in the last couple of weeks about it because um, I've got some sponsors lined up that are going to be coming on board in the next couple of, of weeks. Um, so I want to try and look as good as possible for them <laughs> with the social media numbers. And um, the numbers with Twitter Blue are massive. And I've been doing well on easy, on, on hard mode rather, uh, on, on social media for a number of years. So I kind of wanted to see what easy mode looked like and see how that worked out if you have any suggestions for uh, upcoming charities that you'd like me to donate to from the earnings off twitter suggest them into me get into that uh, channel on the trk secret club or leave me a message on um the comments here and i will get them onto my list of charities because i think that there's enough there to go around to every charity i think in ireland that that look after good causes so if that's something that interests you give me a shout let me know if I haven't listed a charity there that you think I should be looking at, send them on to me. Um, the final score this weekend in Thoman Park was Munster 34, the Hollywood Bets Sharks 21. And uh, I was in the stadium for this. Um, it was not a massive crowd. I think the crowd was listed at around, was it 11K, something like that. Um, that's what we got after the game anyway. I think it was 11,000 people in through the turnstiles. Um, decent atmosphere in, in, the, in the ground I must say um, and I think that when you look at the success that Munster had and actually just getting the job done and getting the job done relatively straightforwardly uh, I, I think we've all got the start to last season still in our minds 
and the the manner and how just difficult everything was in that opening couple of weeks of the season um that was not the case here and I, I would say as well against a very good shark side and actually like a very big shark side um like that day like Saturday I stayed in the strand um that night and uh, myself and uh, my fiance we went and we had a nice dinner we watched the South Africa versus uh, England game which I thought was very entertaining um I had a few pints which maybe added to my entertainment and uh, yeah basically just had a kind of a, a night out while um our our little baby was was getting minded and it was the first time that we'd done that so um it was a bit nerve-wracking but like when we were in the the hotel like we basically bumped into the sharks like repeatedly <laughs> when they were leaving for the game i was happened to be leaving the hotel at the same time the size of these guys like <laughs> massive men and uh, that will play into something later on when on my way out i bumped into uh george uh Krungia. Like the, I think he was their number eight, their starting number eight, the Sharks. And I just remember thinking, oh, fuck it, that, 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 that's a big guy. Like, you know, I, I know they're all big guys, but he was, a, you know, a big, you know, well put together fella. Um, on top of just the size of their second row and like I, Machunu was ahead of me, uh, you know, leaving the day after. And just the size of this guy, this was down at breakfast, the size of him. Um, So... They are a, a, a very, very big side, but I thought they were actually very, very good for long stretches of this game as well. Um, the opening 20 minutes were very, very tight. Um, Sharks, I felt, were a little unlucky not to score on, on a few occasions, but they looked technically like they were playing a far more sustainable game in this game alone than what I saw them playing for a lot of last year. Like last year, I felt they were a team who could absolutely smash you in the odd game like if you showed up that they'd be able to just take you apart physically and if they did that then the rest would follow but I felt this time around they looked far sharper Kerwin Bosch looked like he looked far more settled and and I think the like the, the influence that Plumtree has already had I think it was fairly apparent in the opening parts of this game but like from a Munster perspective to stick in in that opening 20 minutes which was fairly difficult we didn't have a whole lot of the ball uh, to be because to be fair uh the, the sharks were playing i was wondering what their style would be they were very much an on-ball um team in this game with their volume and then we were at the lower end of an on-ball team but still in the same in, in the same ballpark they kicked the ball once every 11.3 passes whereas we kicked the ball once every 7.2 so if you remember when you go back to the uh, the metrics we were using during the World Cup, Ireland were kicking the ball once every five point six kicks, uh, or uh, passing kicking the ball once every five point six passes. Um, Monster here were doing it once every seven point two passes. Which again, some not all of those are like some of those were just hasty exits. But I think on the aggregate, I think you can tell overall that Monster's style is is different in a lot of ways from from um, from what Ireland have been doing. And one of the ways that's expressed is in that um, kick to pass ratio, which I think gives you a very good idea from an efficiency perspective. Um, I thought Monster did quite well, but I think they'll be looking to tidy up some aspects of that too. Um, we had uh, 3.4 points on average from 10 uh, entries into the Sharks 22. They had 2.6 points on average from 8 entries in, which, again, I think we'd be a little unhappy with our own conversion rate. 
and a little bit unhappy with how they were able to convert as well from their entries that they got also but I think on the whole there's lots there to like from from Ireland from or from Ireland from Munster um, and I think that with the way that we approach the game there's lots there to be to be happy about our pass per carry ratio here was 1.44 which is an again that's more or less um what we were doing last season as well so again consistency of approaches is, is good that's what we want to see and it was very successful we were um able to score some really nice tries build phase pressure from quite a fair bit out and we looked really dangerous on transition as again which is something that we were doing last season which pulled into this season again you'd expect us to get better and better as we keep going but looking at um some of the performances and 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 how we approached it look far from perfect the lineup was a little bit bitty at times um we had a few errors you know during the game where i I kind of felt we were again that'll sharpen up with more games like this um but i think overall an awful lot to be happy about um considering the players we're missing first of all but I'd say then the, the quality of that shark side as well, because I think when you're starting off a season like this, from a monster perspective, like we knew coming in that we're going to have a target on our backs, especially with the sharks. Like at the start of a year, like especially after a World Cup, like they would have known, like they won't, they will be without Clane, Snayman, they're going to be without O'Mani, they're going to be without Byrne, they're going to be without Murray, they're going to be without Casey, guys like that, Jack Crowley, they were all big players for them towards the end of last season. Now, they won't be here this time. So teams like that, they like they like giving bigger sides a, a black eye. Not that we're a bigger team than the Sharks, even though do we are. That's kind of fake humble there. But you know what I mean? As in like that, like the Sharks are a big team as well in, in this league, I think. But I think they would have fancied themselves to come to Thoma Park on a, on a day like this and, and to turn us over. And they certainly approached the game with that. This was not a game where, you know, you can tell early on, whether a team is going to be if they're on it or if they're going to be a team that's going to be a a danger to you in a match like this and the Sharks certainly showed up with that intent you know because I've seen teams show up to Toma Park and like you can tell in the warm-up the lads don't want to be there you know and that was far from the case here like we had to break down the Sharks team and I think we did that really well over the course of the full um, 80 minutes Um, even though we lost you know, we, we lost a couple, we lost a quarter, I think. Like the third quarter, I felt that we were quite poor, weren't able to get a grip onto the game. And, and the Sharks, for a while there, they came right back in range. But, you know, I, I think when you look at how, I, I think the quality of our game, like how we approached it, I think it's a real positive. And we look like, one, a very well coached team, two, a team that has um, a lot more knowledge now on the system and what other players are going to be doing and as a result things are much more fluid things are less likely to break down and the tries we're scoring I think are a direct result of that like I think there was at least three or four of the tries that we scored here were the kind of tries we were not scoring last year and the most encouraging thing for me is is that those tries are coming from um settled phase play like I think one error that I think teams can get into when it comes to efficiency in rugby is they can get locked down in this idea that if you're not getting a line break within three or four phases if you're not getting momentum within three or four phases the efficient thing to do is to kick the ball and head into a defensive transition set we aren't really doing that like we we did kick the ball a fair bit you know more than the sharks relatively speaking but they were chasing the game at times when you look at how we approach the game 
we seem to have baked a little bit of inefficiency into our game where we will work that ball out to the edges and I think we did that really well at times here and then if it's not on we'll just cut right back inside and we won't just look then oh well look we'll kick or we look to try to exit we'll play that rugby from around our own 10 meter line all the way up to their five meter line like and that level of ambition that in itself is something for teams to be aware of and that like that in itself is something for teams to be wary of because if you have that um if you have that quality that you can go through those phases and you've got so much variety and, and we did have an awful lot of variety playing off the we would say different screens we were running different like like handling options that was really really good as well our variety there was was great um that to me is very very encouraging and like when you look at some of the other performances that were there too an awful lot to like you know and i think that's you know like munster can take an awful lot from that game just how well we performed overall because there were some top class performances there that i felt um really added like not extra sauce to the win because obviously it was a good win bonus point starting off really well um but it just gives us a look as to some of the depth that we're building as well and the importance of continuity going from last season under Roundtree, the like the, the very first week of preseason last year, up to this year, that's a settled group where we know what we do works. So those guys are able to get in, they know what the standards are, they know what the what the game is and allow them then to build into that system. And one of the things that we've noticed, and, and like if you go back and listen to some of the podcasts that I've been on, like on like on this platform, speaking about um, the differences in styles and what different teams are looking for when it comes to their build and the players that they require to make the system work. Munster's system is definitely leaning towards certain types of players as well. Now, when you understand that, you can kind of get a look into, well, where would Munster be looking to try and sign a guy if that was the case? And like, like that's obviously for later when we're getting into contract talk um, in, you know, later, later in this month. But when you look at, we'll say how Edwin Adogbo played um, for the 55 minutes he spent at the field, I thought he was really, really good. Like, scored a try, obviously, which is, is good, but not just that. Like, he could have not scored a try, and I still would have come away thinking how good this guy played. Because he meant, I mentioned earlier George uh, Crongier, the number eight for the Sharks. And there was a moment in that first half where I was up in the press box, and I'm not sure if you heard me on Limerick Live 95 radio, and I was like, because <laughs> I, I thought afterwards I was actually quite loud there. Uh, your man tried to pick and go, Cronjia. Now, bear in mind, I bumped into this guy at the hotel before the game and thought, well, geez, this guy's pretty big. And then he ran into Edwin Adogbo on a pick and go. And it, the way Adogbo just so casually bowled him over the top of the rook as if he was nothing at all and then just robbed the ball off and won a penalty. That to me, it was like, holy shit. Like, wow. That is serious power. And like, I'm not saying it means anything else beyond this game. But that kind of power is very rare. Because like, your man was was low. Like, he had all the, the rights in that situation. And Edwin Adogbo just, not even, it didn't even look like he bust a gut doing it. Like, he just, your man ran into Edwin Adogbo. Your man was moving. He ran into Edwin Adogbo. 
And it's like he just ran into a wall and the wall kind of then pushed him and stole the ball off him. Like, it was incredibly impressive. But not that, not just that either. The quality of his breakdown work, the involvements he had. Now, I'll be doing the offensive rock work article on the 10 euro tier this week that, you know, you want to have a look at. That'll give you an idea as, as to what we're talking about here. Like, he's a very good young player and he's got like he's a guy he, he jumps in the lineup he's got great wingspan he took a really good ball at the tail in this game as well there's an awful lot to like about Edwin Adogbo and um, if he just keeps developing at this pace Munster are going to have a very very good player in their hands because um, he's already very good and like yeah look there's elements to his game where he's fairly raw yeah of course of course there is but what we've seen of, of his game shows a game sense as well that is just beyond what he should have given the relative experience he has this is a guy who when he joined the Munster Academy had a pretty serious Achilles injury almost straight away when he joined and so he he wasn't playing rugby that entire first year at all like he wasn't playing AIL or anything like that so when you look at his last season, you would have seen that. He would have been getting his, one of the first couple of games of rugby really that he's played to any serious level at all would have been URC games and those preseason friendlies. And the game sense that this guy has with without a whole ton of top level rugby, because remember, look, he's not coming from a, like the Munster Senior Cup environment either. So like this kid is coming up and playing like at a level that should not really be possible for a guy with his experience. Whatever about his physical attributes, which are fantastic, his ability to get the game and get what he's supposed to be doing without a whole ton of, of rugby there to suggest that he should know exactly what he should be doing or whatever else, that is really impressive. And that's the kind of stuff that makes you think, what type of player will this be like? Will he be like in a year? Like... He's still, what, 20? He was just overage by four days for the Irish in their 20s last year. Like, the level he's capable of playing at already is mad. <laughs> it's mad how advanced he is for his age. And like I said, the physicality is one thing. Like, sometimes you either had have that or you don't have it, right? But it's the game sense. It's the understanding of timing or on the breakdown that he's really good at as well. Now, obviously, all that has to be sharpened up again, again, and again, again. But this guy looks like he has the ability to get to that next level. And that's, in itself, is very, very interesting. Um, I thought Fitting Witchery had a great game alongside him. Um, he was the 80-minute guy uh, in, the, uh, in, in the second row for this game with Tom O'Hearn, who came on, who I thought looked quite good as well when he came on. Now... When Ahern came on, I think we were in the middle of a of a sequence where we didn't have a whole lot of ball, and a lot of you know the game was kind of scrappy enough at that point, so we didn't get to see a whole lot of Tom Ahern from a, an offensive perspective. I felt, but you know, I think that as we, you know, hopefully kind of go into next week, there there should be more opportunities there for him to kind of get a stretch with the the ball in his hands, and I think that just the lineup work he showed when he came on, just again, just how just how fucking tall he is and how explosive he is into the air he seems to have added an awful lot of, of size as well which I think is is needed um, that's a guy there's so much potential there and I think people have been speaking about potential with Thomas O'Hearn for a good long while now but he has the capacity to be a fella who you could see playing test rugby in the next 12 months and he just needs a run of fitness and like he's been plagued with 
niggles and knocks and and that's been the case over the last two or three years and sometimes that is the case with with, with fellas who come in who are that bit longer and taller like they do pick up a few knocks a bit easier um he just needs to kind of just settle into his physique i think and i think the extra size he's added will help and if he can get a run and he will get a run in, in the opening couple of weeks of this season for certain if he can stay fit um he will impress because i think he's got everything you'd want the only thing he hasn't had is a bit of luck with injury and that's the main thing for him but when you look at Finney Witcherly this is a guy and a newly a newly minted six foot five <laughs> and looked every bit better for the extra inch he has um he had a really solid game I felt scrummage on the tight head side for the entire game um looks again looks in great shape he looks like he's added an, an, another an extra bit of weight onto him as well which I think was needed as well but He's just got a very rounded game at this point. He's a decent carrier, good breakdown guy. He had a couple of really good interventions I saw there. Lineout stuff, he was calling it. Like, lineout looked a little bit overcomplicated at times as well. Might need to just shrink that down, I think. To be fair, though, I think he was looking at the, the Sharks' like back five in general and looking how fucking tall they were and how active they were and thinking, you know, we need to try and shake these guys off. But I, I felt overall our lineout was okay. There was a few fairly harsh crooked throws I felt now that pulled our percentage down but I think other than that I think you know like Finney Witchley had a really good game um, and as a knock-on for that as well Dermot Barron um, who I felt um, looked the best I've seen him in a good long while um, not that he's been playing poorly but like from what I've seen of him in preseason, I'm thinking shit this guy's looking pretty good and then this game against the Sharks I thought he scrummaged really well now again look I thought he was one was a fairly crooked throw, all right, to be fair. Um, but the the other one, I think, was pretty harsh. Other than that, he showed what we've seen from Dermot Barron all along, which is really good variety and and uh, accuracy in his lineout. That like that's something I think has been a big positive in his game overall. So when I see the development that he's shown around the field and the extra few kg he's added on that I that absolutely need, and I think he's got a small bit to go there as well. He looks like a serious player. And he looks like a guy, and I, we were speaking about this, I think, in the TRK Secret Club this morning. Again, if you're not a member there, you you should be. You, you actually can just go do it right now. Go look at your Patreon benefits. You'll see the little thing at the bottom of your benefits with, that says Discord on it. You can join straight away right now. We were speaking about um, test players and how, you know, I think in Ireland we've become a little bit overly accustomed to guys breaking into the test side at 21 years of age and then just staying there for 10 years or more and then that's their position and there's never any change in that and I think that misses the players who develop into top guys and do so over the course of four or five seasons to become like proper serious options like for example Bongi and Bonambi if you were to say right now is he one of the best hookers in the world you'd say absolutely he is and he has been for a good number of years Bongi is what 32 33 might even be a bit older he broke through to get his first cap for the spring box at the age of 25 that seems like ancient right like if you were to say that over here like because I'm looking at Dermot Barron and I'm not saying he's going to be one of the best hookers in the world but what I'm seeing is development every single year from when he's broken through up until the start of this season and we're going to have to see how he goes this year but you look at how well and how strongly he finished that season last year 
that's the kind of development that we want to see in players where you don't necessarily have to be the finished product at 21 or 22. You can build and add to your game as you go along because like Jeremy Barron's coming up now on what, like 24, 25 years of age. Like he's been a fellow who Munster have invested a lot in. And like, I think it's actually showing like a return on that because like you look at like his, he's actually listed at 25. He was 25 uh, this August. Like, He's up around, what, 105 kg right now? I'd say a little bit more to go. Maybe I'd say if he topped out at 110, I think that he'd be right where he needs to be. He's athletic. He wins breakdown turnovers. He's got a really good attacking instinct. He scored uh, a try here. He should have scored a try against the Babas as well and for more or less the same sort of position I spoke about before the game, how expect to see him running a support line on a line break and look for him to finish. He did exactly that in this game. But... I see the balance in his game as a scrummager, as a sort of a breakdown option, as a like defensive breakdown and offensive breakdown. And I look at how good his line-out throwing is from a variety perspective, as in he can hit all the throws. And look, no hooker is ever going to be 100%, right? Like that's just, you're going to have games where it's going to come out of your hands wrong. Like look at Jamie George on Saturday. One of the worst fucking line-outs you'll ever see throw in, like see in your life happen from a guy who is one of the best line-out throwers in the game in one of the biggest games he'll ever play and he's fucking tossing that thing straight up into the air like that happens it just it happens in this game it's one of those things but when I see Dermot Barron I see a guy who has added so much to his game over the the past couple of years and it's I see him as being a fella on a trajectory where if he keeps on that upward plane that's a guy who I think could go on to have 30 40 international caps because sooner or later it always happens when it comes to hookers it always happens that they will come back and it'll need a hooker who has all of the basics nailed down like Jeremy Barron does like sooner or later you need a guy like Rob Herring and I think that uh, Jeremy Barron has he's kind of a bit like Rob Herring in that way in regards to how his game looks and I think that if, he might not be as explosive as Dan Sheehan or um, you know look like he's got his traps up to his earlobes like Ronan Keller but that does not mean he can't be a good option for Ireland going forward. And I think he just needs to keep going on the trajectory he's going. Because from what I've seen there, there's actually a very, very good player there. And with the with the way the game is going as well, I think the fact that he's such a good scrummager is a big part of it as well. I'll speak more about that in a minute. Um, Josh Richerly, I felt, had a very, very strong game as well. Like, what I want to do with these podcasts now is because in the Wally ratings, I don't really do the individual ratings of players anymore. Um, because one, I just I feel sometimes you can just go on and on and on and I'm just, just and like it sounds like I'm more pissing in a fella's pocket than actually just praising a performance so I felt like doing it you know via audio like this it's probably the best way to go on it um, but with Josh Richerly now typically I might not find time in the Wally ratings to point out a really good performance from him because um, it wasn't like he was you know a five star guy in this game but what I really liked about Josh was his physicality that he showed all throughout the game again this is, I've said it about so many fellas he's added a bit of size <laughs> it was needed but like I look at the work rate he put in here like defensively he was there with what around 12 tackles carried the ball 5 times like Dermot Barron was like missed like he carried what 13 times he had made 14 tackles in 67 minutes so like he was everywhere in this game but when you look at Josh Richerly physically I thought he came on an awful lot um, scrummaging wise he's looked very solid and again, the extra bit of weight, I think, helps him there. But what you can't 
miss with Josh Richardly, who, like again, was a fella who had a lot of hype around him in and around that COVID season or just before, whenever it was, um, when he was in that Irish team. Now he's twenty four, and uh, maybe twenty five next season. That's that's how that's how age works. Um, but when he kind of was with the Irish in their twenties, it was in twenty nineteen, so just just before the pandemic, right? He was a guy who everyone was saying, oh, they're going to break through. He's going to break, you know, he's, you know, and even at the time you're thinking, well, fuck it, he might. He's playing so well. Like, I think we've seen since that for props, it's so difficult unless you're like a genetic freak to break through. But even then, even the the genetic freaks, like you look at Demba Ba or Demba Bamba, right? Demba Ba, didn't he play for Chelsea? I think he did. You look at Demba Bamba, who at the time back in, I think it was 2019 as well, that this was a guy who everyone was going, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy's going to be a nightmare for years. But, like, it didn't really work that way. Like, he's making kind of a breakthrough now, right? But, like, with Leon, and he's kind of getting more involvement with, with, with France as a result as well. But, like, it takes guys time. Even genetic freaks like Demba Bamba to break through and, and to be top-level options in the modern game because of the, the scrum. <laughs> it's It's, like... My thoughts on the scrum have gone back and forth this year. Like, like I've spoken about the whole thing about the scrum not really mattering until it does matter. And, like, for the most part, I think that's true. But as we've seen repeatedly, we even said this with Munster, because part of my thinking on this was, was changed during that Munster, you know, the exit in, in the European Cup this last season against the Sharks, where we were in serious trouble in the scrum there. And it cost us key moments and key momentum in the game. Like We lost it anyway, not just because of the scrum. But when you go and look at other games then and you see the moments that are lost because the scrum wasn't rock solid, that's a massive part of the game still. And I think looking at the World Cup and the knockout games that are there, like, did Ireland lose the game because our scrum conceded, what, three penalties in the four scrums we had in the game? I think that'd be a bit unfair to say that from an Irish perspective. But at the same time, you look at what was given up in those scrum moments. Key momentum. Big moments in the game they were. And like that kind of, of, of return from the scrum, as we saw there from Ox and Che at the weekend, the scrum is still an area that will win or lose you a big game. And I think the bigger the game and the higher the stakes and the narrower the margins, the more a big scrum penalty could be worth, both defensively in your half of the field, or if you're anywhere near the opposition half of the field, as Andre Pollard showed there. So the value of props who are experienced scrummagers, and like to the point where you could say, well, okay, look, they're, they're like they're quality scrummagers. That cannot be understated because, like, I think in the last couple of years. And this is something that bugged me after the discussion that was on on Saturday night, because again, I was after a few pints now. So I was, you know, again, second weekend in a row. So you'd imagine I'd be a little bit, my tolerance would be a bit higher, but apparently not. Um, It's that Treaty City Pale Ale, and I topped it off with a Guinness as well. So I'm just like, man. But after the game, I was watching the Virgin Media panel discuss the scrum afterwards about how, you know, a scrum shouldn't be worth a, a penalty. And I would disagree with that completely because if the scrum gets the power to the point where it's a free kick only, then who gives a shit about the scrum? Why bother picking props at all? And if that's the case, like, why are we picking 15 players? Because if the scrum became irrelevant overnight, 
what would you have in the front row? You'd have, I would say, three six foot three fellas who pretty much look like number eights, and that would just be that because there's no reason. You, I mean, you're essentially playing rugby league there, um, and we'd actually have less space to talk about. We'd have more of guys bashing into each other, which again, maybe that's maybe that's interesting to you, um, but I think the game is better if there's more variety and what the scrum gives us is variety now some teams focus on it i think the biggest thing about like rugby is you generally become better at what you focus on there's only so many hours in the day there's only so many weeks in the year that you can you know work on certain things and your focus is your focus for ireland it seems and this is one of the things that bugged me about this conversation was um rob corney was speaking about that it shouldn't be decided on power right that what the scrum being so important in a game like this does is is it just it rewards power and i'm thinking who does he think is playing in the front row for ireland because andrew porter is one of the most powerful props in the game dan sheehan and ronan kelleher like i said look ronan kelleher looks like a fucking wwe wrestler the way he fucking the way the way he's looking now dan sheehan is a big guy as well ty furlong one of the best props in the game and people have been saying that for years what we're not what we're talking about isn't power because Ireland have plenty of power in the front row. Nobody can tell me that any different that Ireland don't have power. Like we made choices selection wise in the second row that meant that we were going to be a little bit undersized there. Regardless, they were the choices we made. Fair enough, and I'm not I'm not relitigating those. That is what it is. But it's not about power. It's about what you're focusing on, because it seems to me that in in Ireland we just don't want the scrum to be a massive focus because the scrum for us almost weighs us down the scrum is almost the thing where like that's an anchor for us we don't want that like if you took the scrum out of the game Andrew Porter would be I would say up there with one of the top three best players in the world if the scrum wasn't wasn't important if the scrum was a, a free kick only affair Andrew Porter top three player in the world I would say outside regardless of position because of just how effective he is at helping you win rugby games with what he does his breakdown work, his defensive breakdown work, his line-out lifting, his mauling, like his, his ball carrying to a certain extent. Like that, that's not a massive strength of his, but you know, you, you, you get what I mean. If the scrum wasn't important, he would be top three player in the world. Like one of the issues I have with Andrew Porter scrummaging is since he was moved, because remember when he was a tight head, he probably was an extra, he was eight kg heavier. I think he was listed at 125 when he was, no, actually more than eight kg. He was listed at 125 when he was a tight head. He's now listed at 114. Right, so he's lost nearly what ten kg there or thereabouts, eleven kg, um, which is a big loss. Like he's changed his body shape. If you go back and watch and look at Andrew Porter from twenty eighteen, we'll say, and watch him now, like he's a massively different player. And like this is partly why he can play nearly the full eighty minutes every week. But one of the things that I think Andrew Porter tries to do is he tries to scrummage like a tight head on the loose head side. So what that means is is that he tries to get his inside his outside shoulder in as much as possible so he can just basically pump guys with both his shoulders now you can do that as a loose head but one of the things that he does to get that position is he tries to lock the outside arm of the tight head with his 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 open left arm and tries to pull him down to get to to a point where andrew porter because andrew porter is freakishly strong so what he tries to do is to get him down so he can catch him with both shoulders now, when he doesn't get that, and again, I think what he did against Tyrell Lomax in, the, in that quarterfinal was he was trying to be too aggressive. When he just holds the position, 
he's a difficult guy to scrummage through. And I think, and I think you know the the mixture of Ronan Kelleher and Andrew Porter is a good scrummaging unit. But I think that like player wide and 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 we'll say country wide in Ireland, we don't have a whole ton of scrum first props, except in Munster where we do. And I think Josh Witcherly is a guy we've seen him getting pumped in scrums like last year go back and watch the the South Africa A game in Barky Cueve he got pumped by Thomas Detoy but he sticked he stuck in there and I think with the game the way it's going Josh Richley around the field I think is a really good player good passer good breakdown guy um, not a big huge power ball carrier but I don't think you need everybody in the, on, on the pitch to be that now um, I think looking at his scrummaging I think what how many years is he into his career now I think he's, geez, I think he's, this is year what with Josh? Definitely year three. Yeah, he's been playing with Munster, like a, a cap, he's got nearly 50 caps, right? No, he's got, no, I'd say he's, he's actually on 50 caps right now. Um, That's since 2020, 2021. So he's being on the go for three seasons now. And look, we've all seen, remember those games against Claremont where he was getting fucking ridden by Slimani? but changed it around he changed the picture and towards the end he was the guy who was he was he was riding Slimani but you know what I mean like he found a way to to get through it and I think with with props I think it's about there would be the odd freak who is an absolute like genius scrummager as well as being you know looking like fucking John Cena or whatever like yeah like you, you can do that but for most guys, it's going to be three or four, or maybe four or five seasons of building your game and like just building up the pictures and the physical experience of dealing with the props at the highest level. Because I think with Josh Richardly, like we'll see now the season as he goes, but like he would have had a fairly tough examination here. I don't think he had a, a, a hugely difficult day at the office. Munster scrum was looked pretty solid all the way through on both sides of, of the put in, and that's kind of what you have to do with these guys in that. You know, we've seen over the last three or four years, like how often the scrum has cost us. Not in 90% of games, it doesn't matter. But as you get into the higher end and looking to actually win trophies where there is no tomorrow, that's when the scrum starts to become more important. And it's not something, it's something I think that we have to kind of go back to basics on here. It's not about power. It's about technique and it's about your focus. And I I think with, with props, I think looking at how like Ireland plays certainly, so much more is expected of them other than the scrum and maybe maybe that's not the right approach like my thought process and this has changed quite a bit um over the last year because when things start to, when i see things and, and and things are different i start to go well fuck it maybe maybe i'm thinking about this wrong um but yeah no it's, it's an interesting one because I, I do think that like josh Witcherly is going about it the right way now he's got a a, a big season ahead of him i think but yeah, the opportunity is there for him to start making a claim as as a kind of a a, a, a technical scrummaging loosehead. There's there's place for those guys, yes. And I, I I think that yeah, Andrew Porter is nailed down number one guy. But I think on the loosehead side, if you can put yourself in there as being well, do you know what? I'm a fucking solid ass technical scrummager. There, you put me in there, the scrum won't be a problem. That in itself is valuable more so than I think. I would have even assumed earlier in the year. So we'll see how he goes, but I thought he played very, very well here. 
um, overall. Um, back row looked good. The Donahue, Coombs, Kendallin. Um, Coombs had just a very balanced game. Like, I think sometimes people feel he's being quiet if he hasn't run over two or three guys off the back of a scrum or, you know, scored from five metres out. But I thought his overall game was actually very balanced here. Um, Gleeson came in for him off the bench for the last 10 minutes. Yeah, tough enough. I won't say tough enough, but again, look, a big physical young fella up against a big physical pack. Um, it'll stand him. It'll stand him. Um, but I thought Kendallin did really well. Aggressive. He was in fella's faces all day. Breakdown was very good. He had a great assist for Dermot Barron. And he actually had a, a kind of an indirect assist for Ethan Coughlin's finish at the end. But yeah, good game overall from the pack, I felt. I thought they all did really, really well. Um, and great to see John Ryan back as well. And by the way, Kieran Ryan uh, came on and had his first scrum and locked it out fairly fucking well. Fair fucks them. Um, looks like a bouncer, which I think all good props should look like. I think if you're a good prop, I need to look at you and be immediately thinking about pulling my ID out of my wallet. Uh, that, that, that's what I'm thinking. And Kieran Ryan certainly fills um, that perspective anyway. Um, looking at the backs, I thought Ethan Coughlin did really well. Um, my criticism of Ethan was um, in the game against the Barbarians that he was a little bit slow getting the ball away from the Rook that his address of the ball was a little bit off um, that he was digging for the ball and stuff like that and that hurt the ability to attack off the back of it but in this game that didn't really present itself at all he was able to show off his pace as a result he looked really really good I thought linked up well with Joy Carberry who did a really good job of driving around the field but that was great to see from Ethan Cockton, who did 69 minutes. So we were happy enough with him. Now we had to come back on for uh, Fionn Gibbons, who got a, a. I'm not sure what. I'm not sure if it was a concussion that he had or a HIA, um, or whether he just got a bang into the face, whatever it was. It was an unfortunate accident, but it's just one of those things where, when you have a young fellow like Ethan Cockton show up in a very difficult skill position, right? One thing I've begun to see an awful lot is that it's quite easy. I won't say easy, but it's simpler to build big forwards if you have the raw materials. You know, for, for, for a certain extent, outside certain technical areas like the scrum. There's not a whole ton of scrum halves who will come along who you can go, all right, we can slot this guy in and he can run a game for you like this. That was hugely encouraging to see Ethan Cochran do that because first it showed he learned from that game against the Barbarians. He kicked a good bit better in this game as well. Because... Like, we are without Casey and Murray and Paddy Patterson, who were the three guys ahead of Ethan Cochran last year in the squad. So, with those three guys out, Paddy Patterson's out with a knee injury. And he's actually recovering quite well, but he's currently unavailable. That jumped Ethan Cochran up straight away. And he did not look out of place here. He did not look like a fella who was like, <laughs> this is my first, one of my first couple of pro games. Like, absolutely not. And that's a great thing to see because, again, technically, it just shows that he has the game that he can, you know, f- facilitate at this level. He has a temperament for it. And it's not a guarantee that you go down four spots in your scrum half depth chart and find a guy who looks as accomplished as Ethan Cockland does. So yeah, great game at home. Obviously, big season for him coming up next couple of games. But yeah, I thought he did really well. Joey Carberry got man of the match on the day. He scored a penalty. He had three conversions. Looked pretty good. Um, his... Like, his ability to break into space, to beat defenders, looked like Joey Carberry from 2019. And that's great to see. He looked like he was playing with a little bit more confidence, um, which obviously I think would have took a knock over the last while. I think towards the end of the last season, 
you know the season played out for him like it did the last game we saw him as a starter was in Coleman Park actually against Glasgow and Joey Carberry in that game looked like a he looked lost looked lost like he didn't want to be out there and flash forward how on six months and looks like a different guy um, his approach to the game his enjoyment of the game you could hear him calling out stuff you know from the press box you could hear him like calling out guys wanting them in shape and stuff like that so great to see like honestly really really good to see a guy you know who had been having a tough time to come back in and play a really accomplished game like he did here um, linked up really well with Frisch um, yeah good I enjoyed it um, midfield Scanlon Frisch Frisch was outstanding absolutely outstanding so good like man he was so good uh, the, 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 the way he opens himself up for passes the way he hits the line looking for them the threat that exposes elsewhere he's worked in his kicking game as well um, his pace his power he's a big strong guy as well vital player for us vital he was really good here Rory Scannell I felt wasn't that great um, I, you know, at the moment I'm thinking around maybe two maybe three stars in, in, in the, the Wally ratings um, but you know again he's a guy who's covering like he's a cover player there and did he I mean I, I felt he was at fault for one of their tries the one that Werner Cox scored um, but you know overall a guy a good squad player to have and you know I think overall we'll see his value over the course of the season Alex Nankivell came off the bench um, for Rory Scannell on 60 minutes and looked exactly the type of guy I thought he'd be offensive breakdown work defensive breakdown work um, his pass was really really good as well um, I think himself and, and Antoine Frisch are perfectly suited to each other and they will like they're like both of them are really good offloaders so once they start getting into a pattern with each other they will destroy teams and they have the capacity to be a, a midfield partnership that we can lean on over and over again um, and Nankivell just looked like a top player just looked f- really like quick over the ground he looked powerful in contact uh looked very aware game sense was great um so yeah we we'll have to see how he goes as he fits in but like bear in mind he's only off the plane a week or so um but yeah looked really really good and i like i felt that his his natural game is a perfect fit for what we're doing and like he won't he wouldn't need a whole ton of time he just needs to learn some of the plays obviously but his natural game fits in with exactly what we're doing so I felt that he looked really really good when he came on our back three I thought very 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 impressive Shane McCarthy Andrew Conway who scored a try I think it's his 250th point for Munster in his 158th game which is outstanding going and Shane Daly a fullback who I thought was outstanding at fullback really really good bar one blip uh, in the second half for their try um, where he kind of switched off a little bit but all other than that I thought he looked really really good in, in that position and looked again looked very Mike Haley-esque uh, his high ball work was great physically on transition he looked powerful um, he looked quick good player um, but yeah Andrew Conway again looked he's still building back to the game that we know he has but sharp aggressive exactly the type of outside winger who he'll basically be taking over the Keith Earl spot there where you can put him into any one of those back three spots I mean ideally two of the wing spots but like he gets what we're doing and the game is almost perfectly suited to him so he'll be he'll be absolutely grand and Shane McCarthy man I was 
uh, in the, like I said, I was up in the press box and I was talking to some of the lads above there, Dan Mooney and uh, Barry Murphy, who were doing the radio for Live 95. We were talking about Shane McCarthy and we were asking like, how big is this guy? Because like, he's listed at 6'2", he's listed at around, well, he's under 100 kg, but he plays so much bigger than that. Like, he's got power winger tendencies and he's a young guy, he's still in the academy. Um, he looked very, very good, very, very sharp here and aggressive as well. One thing I love about him as a winger is he's not one bit afraid of getting stuck into a fucking rock and leaving a, leaving a shot in a fella, which is a great sign in a winger. Um, he's quick, he's strong, he was winning collisions against big guys. Um, very interesting player him, and I think he'll play a lot of rugby this season for us. Um, stepped in late as well and played really, really well. Um, so a lot to like about that performance from the individuals. And from what it said about our, our structure as a group, how well balanced we seem to be and how it seems to be growing in comfort amongst the wider group where you can throw in a bunch of academy guys. Like just for, for completionist sake here, um, Edogbo's in the academy. I know he's got a contract signed, but he's still in the academy. Uh, Ethan Coughlin's in the academy. Shane McCarthy is in the academy. And then on the, on the bench, you've got Kieran Ryan uh, and Brian Gleeson and Fionn Gibbons. Now, Fionn, uh, obviously, he had, he, it was unfortunate to, to get the, the bang he did, but it shows the comfort and the, the work that this group has put in that those guys don't look wildly out of place in that system. And that's kind of exactly what we want. We, we want a system in place like that that permeates down through the younger players so that when they're coming in, they're coming into a system that they know and the people around them know. So it's been so long where Munster have had like a system that we know wins trophies, first of all, right? But that has complex attacking structures in it, that has an on-ball structure like this where there's lots to know and there's lots to learn, but the group we have seem to be so well-versed in it that younger players can come in and play a, a key role in, 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 in a big win like this and for it to not look like, oh, those guys have just been transplanted in. Like It's like that they have that system knowledge, which is outstanding, and it just shows the value of a 13-week preseason as opposed to a six-week preseason that we had last year. But it's good. It's encouraging and needs to be backed up now coming into next week, uh, which is the most important, like, you know, backing up your second week. That's really important. And it's the most important game for this group in this little block, I think. It's a way to Benetton. Benetton picked up a last-minute away win uh, against Cardiff um, in the in, uh, at this weekend as well. They will be on a bit of a bounce after that game for sure uh, they have a lot of their internationals back as well this is a game they are 100% going to be targeting so this is a big enough challenge in the early round um, so again like as in we know the value of starting strong so if we can continue the momentum we'll be in a great place heading into the as the season because remember it's going to be a very condensed season there's not going to be a whole lot of weeks off to reset bar to, when, un, until the Six Nations comes around so it's going to be all go so this group they've had a long preseason a long season come up ahead of them as well so it's going to be interesting to see how they all go um, I will be back with a lot of content on this game um, the uh, offensive rock work article will be out tomorrow Tuesday I'll have a TRK mailbag out on Tuesday as well the Wally ratings for this game the article will be out later on tonight so thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber I will talk to you again very very soon very very soon